0: Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Fanalytics episode. It's episode 66. Um, My name is Mike Lewis. I'm joined by Doug Battle. And always, we're brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. This week might be a little bit of a struggle because I think Doug and I have both been watching a lot of sports, but completely different sports. Doug, I am watching the Olympics, whether or not I'm enjoying it. I've seen a lot of ping pong, sorry, table tennis, uh, team handball, uh, weightlifting. I'm fully embracing the Olympic moment. How much Olympics are you watching?
1: Um, Not a lot. If we're being completely honest, I have football fever right now and there is no football Americano in the Olympics. And so I'm more consumed with watching training camp videos of my favorite players and teams and fantasizing about the season to come. So uh, different pages. Absolutely. I will keep up with the U.S. men's basketball team, not because they're the best we've had, but because. They're the worst we've had, and it's actually in question as to whether they will medal or win a gold medal.
0: Well, I think as of this taping, they're about to play, I, I think they're in the quarterfinals with Spain being their next opponent. Is that correct?
1: Yes, quarterfinals okay. is where we're at.
0: Okay, and, and there has not been a lot of, you know, from my viewing of the Olympics, and, and I'm just watching it on the free outlets, I, I think they, they moved some of the some of the men's basketball to more of a premium type or the the streaming service.
1: You can't even watch the games
0: to build some audience there, which is, you know, probably a little bit of a disaster. The ratings for the Olympics, Doug, you want to want to throw out a guess as to where they're at horrible compared to uh, four, four years ago, horrible Horrible. low. Okay. That's correct. Uh, They're off about 40% from Rio. And Hmm. you know, I mean, look, maybe that's a tough number that's the tv number so i I suppose we could argue that there's more of a shift towards streaming i don't know but that's sort of the that's the best comparison we have so a 40 percent hit which is you know broadly consistent with everything we've seen since covid blm trump what whatever assorted societal traumas you want to Uh, talk about in the last year this uh there's
1: also a lot of cord cutting that's gone on in in recent years, um, yeah. so I think as a whole, television viewership has been down. Add in all those other elements, particularly with with politics and sports, and how that's affected viewership, and uh, you, you get what we have right now.
0: Yeah, and it, it, it's sort of I, I think what's happened is you know the the technology was evolving the cord cutting the the shift towards different ways of consuming streaming or even a shift towards just i want to look at the i want to follow my favorite athletes on instagram rather than watch the game sort of just a fundamental reset mm-hmm. i think the last year just got us here in kind of a hurry um but you also mentioned the politics of the sports and i talk, i don't really want to talk politics and sports anymore it's become It's like our show. Painful to me. (laughs) It's It's like like every week. It's it's every week and everything. But the Olympics have kind of shown... And maybe the the Olympics have highlighted that it isn't even completely politics. It's also just sort of differences in cultural sensibilities, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And so the first story that I think popped out of the Olympics was Simone Biles. And Simone Biles came into the games as... Maybe the most decorated female gymnast of all time for the U.S., a big favorite, a lot of ads going into the games, sort of the face of the games. And she withdrew, citing, uh, I don't know that they actually did a a formal definition of what she cited, but some sort of mental duress Mm -hmm. or anxiety. Now... (laughs) And again, this is what's tough about politics. You almost immediately have to be careful about how you talk about anything. Yeah. So suddenly, now an athlete having anxiety is somehow politics. Are you with me on that? I mean, it's strange, yeah, it feels like true. that.
1: I mean, I think it's because you have to, like, like you insinuated, you have to approach it the same way. You have to be real careful with how you talk about it what jokes are made and what jokes are not. I saw a number of people canceled on social media regarding Simone Biles uh, in the same way that people were canceled during the election. And so that adds an element of uh, restriction for, I think, for fans. And I don't know, it, it changes sports, definitely.
0: Well, you know, I saw two things. And the one was, and I've seen this all over social media channels, which is, that basically people don't have a right to criticize her action because they're not world championship. Gymnasts. I saw a lot of
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. Like and you can I never, love that. You can never do what she does, which is like yeah in the it's world of very true.
0: Okay. And so I guess now Sports Talk Radio is just going to have to restrict itself to former NFL, NBA players and former NFL, NBA coaches and general managers. Well, right?
1: I, I will say as someone who wanted to get into that world at one point, it feels like it already kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: There's
1: not a lot of people like me uh, wait, wait. doing that.
0: Well, but as as a host, I'm talking about the callers, right? Okay. We're going to restrict the call. Yeah. The, the other thing, though, the thing that I – you know, I don't even want to have an opinion about Simone Biles' decision. What I found my problem with was how bored I was with the coverage. Because as soon as it went down, I knew exactly what the coverage was going to be.
1: Yeah, it's so predictable.
0: It's it's almost like the this coverage via flowchart at this point of look at the person, what's, what's their background, and then the story is put out. Um, and so it was completely 100% predictable that basically all the opinion makers would talk about essentially the bravery of making this decision to not compete. And and I think when we come back to this issue of the, let's say the politics of maybe hurting sports, maybe it's more a matter it's the predictability of the narrative mm-hmm. that is hurting sports. Well,
1: it's also... It was predictable to see the response of, of people who kind of came out in support of Simone. And I'm sure there are a lot of people that were genuinely supportive of Simone and that genuinely related with her. But it also kind of felt like a little bit of pandering, a little bit of like trying to get a pat on the back for being a good guy. On Twitter, The the whether it was a political figure or a fellow athlete coming out and saying, I stand with Simone and, and can attest to what she's going through and think it's incredibly brave. And this is a wonderful example set for young girls and athletes across the board. Um, so much of that, where it's like, we just see that all the time and I think it, it can be so predictable. Um, you know, something that struck me about all this is how different the the response and the criticism to Simone Biles in this situation than when it's, uh, Max Kellerman, for example, Tearing apart LeBron James over something stupid (laughs) Um, or, you know, any, any, you know, Stephen A. Smith, those kinds of guys who kind of have the freedom to make wild criticisms of athletes and, um, and to say that someone's soft because they sat out a game because of injury or this or that. And in this one, it's like, you can't, there's only one acceptable opinion. Um, and maybe it's maybe it's the correct opinion, but regardless, it, it does feel like there's kind of this censorship, and cancel culture is ca- carried over into sports significantly.
0: And doesn't it doesn't it drive you nuts that you felt the need to throw in that little caveat that maybe it's the right opinion, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, I'm because to it's to like be canceled, because, and you know. and I get it, yeah, and I and I get it, right? It's in, it's it's this effort to be incredibly even-handed mm-hmm. without being, you know, it's like if you want to deviate from the accepted, and again, I want to sort of emphasize this point, very predictable narrative. You got to put all sorts of caveats on that and kind of hope. Yeah. Well, and, and if that's the case, why, you know, why tune in if you kind of know the story? Right? You
1: know, it's right? going to be set. Yeah.
0: Well, I'll, 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 I'll throw in one other thing. One of the things we're doing in the background during the Olympics is we're, uh, we're doing a research project that involves tracking the athletes on social mo- social media. So looking at the how social media followings are changing based on performances at the Olympic games, uh, going into the Olympics, Simone Biles had, uh, well, Simone Biles was one of the big stars. I, I want to say about four and a half million Instagram followers. Um, the woman that sort of became the star, what, what SUNY, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when the, the all-around gold came in with let's say about two hundred and fifty thousand followers. By winning the gold, SUNY became more of a star and moved up to I think about seven hundred and fifty k followers. Simone Biles went from four point five or so to I want to say six and a half. Mm-hmm. So even by you know the the way the story evolved, she ended up with so much publicity and ended up. Largely being hailed as a as a hero throughout the vast majority of the media, and if anything, it further enhanced her brand mm-hmm. and you know regardless of your view of the world that 's an interesting result no
1: absolutely yeah so something something to me that is interesting uh, that 's not being talked about a lot is I don't really know what the story is here. We see a lot of coverage and a lot of, uh, you know, creating this into a hero story, which is common in the Olympics, I think. But at first, it sounded like it was some kind of mental duress that she was under that that caused her. It was just too much for her. Um, I later heard a report that it was actually she she got the the symptoms of what pilots get when they're in the air. And they lose their sense of direction and that it was actually dangerous for her to compete because she didn't know, you know, when she's in the air and doing flips and stuff, she could end up landing on her head and breaking her neck. And she and her coaches and team decided, you know, that's not safe and it's not good for the team. It's not good for anybody. And it's just a decision to protect herself and to protect the team. And so I don't know which story is true. I haven't seen a lot of journalists diving deep into that and and trying to uncover why exactly she pulled out of this competition. Um, it seems like the overwhelmingly popular narrative is that it's a mental health issue that, you know, it's, it's due to stress, it's due to expectations, and she's doing what's in her best interest from a mental health perspective. I just, I found the other story pretty interesting as well and haven't seen a lot of follow-up on that, on that report. And so it's like we're kind of celebrating oh. something and we're not really sure if that's exactly what happened or if this was a completely different story at this point, I think this, the story is just kind of what people want it to be.
0: Well, that other story would be much more interesting. And I, I had not heard that. It sort of, it kind of speaks to the tragedy of modern sports coverage, which we could also subtitle the don't let marketers in the room. Yeah. Right. When, when everything becomes about maintaining the narrative control or building or maintaining the brand, Then everything gets, you know, kind of slotted in the right boxes to to build that brand. And in the near term, maybe that's the right approach, but in the long term, it just makes the world kind of just kind of boring when everyone's staying on brand. Um so Simone Biles, I think, was the the big story. I'm trying to trying to think what else we want to cover here. The the big the 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 Simone Biles was the major story at the beginning of the Olympics. Uh, The major story from today, as we tape on uh, August 2nd, was the U.S. Women's National Team lost. Lost to Canada. And so the U.S. Women's National Team will not be playing for the gold medal. They will still play for the bronze medal. And... I will be honest with you Doug I think the US women's national team is in some ways they are the they are the sports team that exemplifies the way the culture has changed and sort of the complexities of running a sports business over the last 5 years from about the 2015 period to the 2020 period how so and and just to well to, as a starting point, when I, when I teach um, sports marketing and sports analytics, one of the things I'll do is I'll ask the question to the students uh, and say, well, who's your favorite team? And, and this is just to get a sense of, very casual sense of where students are at. Over that five-year period, not much has changed from the male students' answers. <coughs> Sorry. It is overwhelmingly a team from their hometown. Okay, you know, so it's something like, you know, if an MBA student, they're going to say the Georgia Bulldogs if they went to Georgia. Mm -hmm. If they're an undergraduate from New York, they're going to say the New York Yankees. Mm -hmm. But in that five year period, the U.S. Women's National Team has become the go to answer for all the female students in the Mm -hmm. class to the point where it's probably 80 percent of the students name name that team. So uh, the the female students name that, that team is their favorite. What's fascinating to me about that is that sports has typically come from, you know, family influences, uh, where you community influences. So essentially where you grew up is who you rooted for. Or if your parent was from another town and your dad was from Boston, you end up being a Celtics fan kind of thing. So it's. Kind of a strange development, but I think this is kind of a, really kind of this, this harbinger that for a lot of the the female students, their fandom now is more driven by their identity as a woman than where they came from. Mm-hmm. So the, the U.S. women's national team became has become this kind of collection of feminist icons, and also has now largely bled into popular culture in terms of endorsement deals and, and, and notoriety. So they are essentially the team that I think typifies this modern politicized or uh, different levels, different kind of culture. Modern culture is now driving the, the sports world. And so for the U.S. women's national team to get a fairly early exit that's an interesting story for me because I don't I don't know where that team is going to go next.
1: Yeah. Um my thing with the US women's national team is I typically wouldn't be drawn to the sport in the first place, um, soccer, um, or, or women's soccer, but they traditionally have been very fun to watch because they win they win medals, they win championships and um I think that's been a huge factor for the Olympics this year. It's just viewership in the States, at least typically it's, it's this time of year, you know, everyone's on board, everyone's following that team and their pursuit of gold. The games are very exciting. We're watching penalty kicks, you know, at the end of games to determine who, who medals or, or whatnot. And there's kind of been this sense from the beginning, just like with the men's basketball team, that the, not that that team isn't going to medal, but that this team just isn't as good. And it's less of a draw. Like For me, I'm less likely to turn on a U.S. women's national team game when I don't feel like they're competing for the gold medal um, because I'm that fair-weather of a fan, but I think a lot of people are. And so there's those fans, but then there's the fans. I know people personally that went out to exhibition games and it was a huge deal to them to get close to the field and to see those women out there. And they do have this fandom that is really rare i think for women's sports in the united states. we don't see that kind of fandom for softball, we don't see that kind of fandom for women's basketball. i think it's the medals honestly. we always talk about when we're talking about franchises and and kind of becoming a a big brand franchise. the easiest way to do it is is to have champ to have history, you know, to have history and championships and the lakers and the celtics and these teams uh the patriots in the nfl uh, I feel like they're that team for Olympic sports or I guess for women's sports as a whole, they've won championships on a big stage. There's been incredible stories told they've done a great job of creating characters out of of the players over the years and helping people get to know those brands. And I think that's like the women's sports team for our country that people truly are passionate about. Um, Unfortunately, you know, Playing for a bronze medal, I don't think does a lot for them, and it will be interesting to see moving forward if they're able to keep the success, but also if they're able to keep the the kind of following that they've had in in recent years
0: okay well let me let me interrupt you for a second yeah. so a couple of things that you said in that a hundred percent, I think you're right that that team has been dominate dominant for. More than a generation now. I mean you go back to Ham yeah, yeah. in the in the early nineties through the through the late nineties. That team has been dominant on an international stage for about 30 years now. Now, one of the things you mentioned in that is you know that typically you will, you know, you can enjoy watching that team. The gold medal is definitely part of it. The gold medals, whether it's a FIFA or the Olympics, are part of it. That's getting at something that's kind of the key in all this, and why I think there's something, something interesting happening with uh, with the, the this team or, or, or their fan bases that previously. And I was I was actually trying to think of, of I could come up with another example. Is there any other national team that isn't a pure unifier? Is there any other national team for the U.S. that? A lot of people, and, and I should have. I'm, I'm not that this is the right way to gather data, but given some of the reactions I'm, I'm hearing to the U.S. women's national team, their their defeat, I went on Twitter, and I'm just going to read the the first couple of tweets that, that come that are out there on their uh, on the U.S. team's um, sort of their 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 tweet of we had a hard fought game and we mm-hmm. lost. Okay. Um, Here's one. I will always pull for America's team, but this one doesn't sting so badly when it's constructed with so many players that act as if they hate the country when they that they are supposed to represent. Wow. <laughs> Here's another one. The men were so bad, they didn't even qualify for the Olympics. They won the gold cup against other teams that also didn't qualify for the Olympics. They failed to qualify for like the third time in a row. Okay, that's fascinating to me that somehow the US men's team is getting Taken to the woodshed. Yeah,
1: in the comments for the women's team.
0: <laughs> in the comment for the women's team, um, and, and you know that's the the comments to this team are full of the the tweets are full of these kind of comments that feel again political to me. Mm-hmm. And, and so, are there a number of fans that this team has become sort of controversial? And they're not a unifier, that they're somehow they've reached a level where they're actually purely a political entity. They're dividing the population, you know, that they, they kneeled before the first game to start the Olympics, mm-hmm. uh, the, the first game before Sweden. Um, have they become such a big brand that is so loaded with so many things, the equal pay lawsuit that mm-hmm. they lost, um, some of the protests that, again, just as we started with, Everything now, a world championship soccer team is inherently political, and the audience, the American audience, is split on it. And so, two questions to you, Doug. One, am I getting this wrong? Um, is there kind of a split? And two, is there any other national team that not everyone roots for?
1: Um, one, I do think there's a split. I don't know if it's as like cut and dry, maybe it uh, might be an oversimplification of of things i feel like yeah i I don't know i don't know how much division there is over this team like twitter's kind of interesting because the comments for that kind of thing tend to attract the the naysayers if you will i know the men's basketball team when they lost a couple games the comments were brutal uh, and i don't know i think i think that's kind of where co- how comment sections tend to be but nevertheless i you know i don't think this team is totally dividing the country and and causing the country to fall apart but i do think that there is like <laughs> uh, i do think that there is um there's some political associations with the team absolutely and i think that some people are less inclined to want them to succeed because of that or maybe even kind of deep down want them to fail um, because of that. And we, we see that with sports. You see that with guys like LeBron James all the time where people who who are vocally um, on opposing sides to him politically celebrate his failure and, and celebrate and even if it were on the stage of a Team USA. But to answer your second question, are there other teams? I think everything divides us. I think everything, every sport, every... I mean, the NFL divides us with... The, no, the but I'm, I'm saying national Kaepernick, teams. The national teams? teams um, Like I saw even with Simone Biles, I saw people on my social media saying, you know, she doesn't deserve to represent this country because she's a quitter and stuff like that. Like people will latch on. The the lady who couldn't compete um, because of marijuana, I think there was some divide over as to whether she deserved to be in the Olympics. And, and some people are saying... You know, some people are saying, like, oh, she's, she's getting robbed because of race. And then there's, like, an equal and opposite response to that. And it becomes a race issue and a political issue. Team USA basketball is the one I follow the most. And I think that as a whole— Well,
0: they, they had one at the beginning, right, with Kevin Love and Jalen Rose. Well, yeah, they,
1: exactly. They had yeah. that. And then the NBA as a whole is just a very—and we've talked about this before— they're very outspoken about where they stand on politics. And so there's a lot of people that do not like the NBA purely because of their political affiliations, their political stances. And I think there's people that love to see them fail because it's this, yeah, back when they were apolitical... They were great, and now that all they care about is all these social causes, they're not, uh-huh. not able to focus on basketball. That's one narrative. Another narrative is, and I see this with basketball now, I was talking to a friend the other day that's pulling for Slovenia to win. He's an American, but he, <laughs> Luka Doncic is his favorite player. The NBA has become such a player-driven league, okay. and it's become so international that there are fans who pull against USA because A, they like the underdog, and B, their favorite player plays on the other team.
0: Okay, and I think, and this is where I think this is going to get interesting. Yeah. You know, that I can't recall a time where where people were not rooting for the red, white, and blue. Mm-hmm. And I do think we're probably now seeing a little bit of a shift away from that because you know, frankly, look, after the last year and a half, it's been pretty made pretty clear that a lot of Americans don't like, don't like America. Other Americans where there's <laughs> red versus blue, yeah. MAGA versus Democrat vaxxed versus Anti-vax, unvax,
1: mass versus anti mass, across the board. Yeah, absolutely. mass versus,
0: and so it was. Maybe it's inevitable that we're going to start to see that in in sports. And and look, I I have absolutely academic fascination with the women's national team, um, and in particular, you know, Megan Rapinoe. I think is one of the strangest stories in marketing in sports marketing. Of all time, Mm -hmm. right? Megan Rapinoe has become the absolute, she's a, she's a controversial figure. She's probably the most political figure on the team, right? So if there are people that are rooting against the team, they're probably all rooting explicitly for Megan Rapinoe to not do well. Mm -hmm. But while she has become that villain for half of America, or, you know, maybe it's a third of America, I don't know. She has also become fabulously successful as a commercial pitch person. Mm -hmm. She's been the sports illustrated sports person of the year. And also a model? sports illustrated swimsuit yeah. model. Has endorsement deals you know, all over the place, subway to Victoria's Secret. And even if you watch if you watch the games, they were using her on the intro. You know, they're they're showing some highlights of the players. And then the the end of the intro of the women's national team, I don't know what you would call that in a technical sense. The the little video package was her just waving the camera. She has been absolutely marketed as the star. She's probably become incredibly wealthy over the last few years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, like I feel like she's that LeBron James for the the women's soccer team, where mm-hmm. the people that um, take a, take a little bit of pleasure in their failures. Probably it's you know there's probably an opposite political affiliation than Megan Rapino, you know, and, and they want to see a team comprised of players who they even either don't know their political standings or who they align with, because let's be real, this country has become two countries. And so when you have the Olympics and they're performing as one country, there are people that don't want to pull for the other country, for the right or for the left, whichever it might be. And so, you know, <laughs> it's almost like when
0: you've got an internal enemy yeah exactly yeah when you when you've got an enemy a day-to-day enemy whether it's like i said whether it's the the masked people or it's maga people then suddenly you're not going to root for them when they're out there on the international stage and i mean i've seen this at the uh, interesting time yeah
1: and like i said we've seen this like at the individual level within sports leagues i know the nfl there's been players who won't get vaccinated and there are fans who want that player cut from the team or who want um, you know, who are going to pull for that player to fail in the NFL? I know that there were, there were fans who celebrated, you know, Michael Sam not making it in the NFL after all the hoopla about him, his sexual orientation. And then NBA, you got the. Pe-
0: How can you be the SEC player of the year and not make it to the NFL? Well, he,
1: he made it to the NFL. It was just didn't make it like in the NFL. But uh, you, you get what I'm saying, though, is there's yeah. people that they latch on to that yeah. one thing and they will root against that player. They will root or they will, if they're not rooting against him, they will secretly take pleasure in that player's failings. We see it all the time with LeBron James. There's probably one of the biggest sports fandoms in the United States is the anti-Lebron fans. They don't pull for a team. They pull for LeBron to fail. They take yes. so much pleasure in him failing. There's so many people that are like this. And and I think there's there's probably some smaller version of that for the Megan Rapinos of the world or, you know, anyone that's made a, any kind of stance politically, which is just about everyone in sports nowadays.
0: Well, Doug, let me ask you a question because when I, when I think about fandom, I, I will start with the importance of love, but I will also go to down the path of the importance of hate. You know, sure and later. so as a guy that grew as an Illini fan, an Illinois fan, you know, I, I hate Indiana. Yeah. I, I kind of hate Kansas. This is basket on the basketball side. I, I hate Iowa and you know, there's, there's. Nonsense reasons for all these—the the behavior of Bruce Pearl in the night in the eighties, mm-hmm. uh, Bill Self, Self taking a, a you know what he viewed as a better job, mm-hmm. all sorts of things from Bob Knight, who I actually kind of really enjoy, <laughs> but somehow it seems like it's 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 worse when the hatred is based on politics rather than on field action, or you know it makes me feel a little nervous about the future of, uh, of sport.
1: Yeah. I mean, I grew up, I think the team I hated the most um, going back to the Cam Newton years was Auburn university, but it's always been kind of this pure hate
0: as a Georgia fan. You're supposed to, Yeah, but it's, it's it's
1: this pure hate. It's like, well, they're, yeah. You know they're the bad guys. They cheated. They they celebrated, um, taking cheap shots on our players. We hate them in that way. But it's it's kind of a fun. Okay, well, it's let, a fun hate. I have friends that
0: are Auburn fans. Let me interrupt hate and team. ask you a question. Yeah,
1: it's a fun hate. It's different.
0: But it, but isn't it also that yeah, it's different. Like that, I would love to have a beer with Bob Knight. Yeah, exactly. But if but when politics get involved, then it's like you don't even want the person to be allowed in the bar right so
1: yeah that's i mean i think that's kind of the difference in like where sports were and where sports are now is it's it's becoming a little bit i mean i think it's cancel culture i think it's like if there's someone that has an offensive stance to someone else politically i don't think players want to see i don't think fans necessarily want to see them fail i want i think they want to see them kicked out of the league i think people want to see someone kicked out of the nfl for their tweet or for you know something that they said and that's, that's a different ballgame than hoping your team can beat them or hoping that they have a bad performance against your team. I don't know. It's, it is definitely different. And I think it's inevitable that sports are going to continue to be incredibly political. And so I think it's just the world that we live in. Um, and these are just observations you know, as to what that looks like and where it's going.
0: Well, you know, here's the, the other thing that makes sort of the final element that makes me really fascinated watching the U.S. Women's National Team is what happens next. Mm-hmm. This team has gotten a little bit little bit old. You know, <laughs> again sort of the danger of the say danger that. of using say that. suddenly the word old is gonna be offensive. <laughs> but Carly Lloyd is thirty nine, Megan Rapino is thirty six. I mean I think Alex Morgan is thirty two. Yeah, so you know, it it's it's getting a little long in the year for A for a sport based on you know running and for a run and jump sport, let's say uh, so it'll be, you know, will this team stay together for one more? Uh, I think the next FIFA is in 2023. Mm-hmm. Can they stay together for two more years? Maybe. Probably not. Is this the end of kind of this, this that core era. group? Yeah. And if so, do they rebrand and sort of repackage or do they keep going with this this type of? Uh, I don't know. You know, and again, this is, again, it drives us both nuts, right? with their type of political foot forward. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows? Yeah,
1: I mean, it's definitely going to be the end of an era. Those names, Carly Lloyd, Alex Morgan, I mean, I, that ties me back to like Abby Wambach. Um, but yeah. that group, it's like they, they were so successful on the field, but they also, we know their names. Like how many? how many even Olympic sports can we just go and name off Players, much less um, women's Olympic sports teams, which, which women's sports tend to obviously get less attention and, and less fandom, and most Americans, you know, these are household names for most Americans, and so building that up from scratch with a new group of women um, who are probably just as talented, but it's like that—that that seems like an incredibly tall task to create the next Alex Morgan, the next Carly Lloyd, the next Abby Wambach, the on-field. Medals in, in big moments, big clutch performances at the biggest stages would absolutely help that. Um, but s- somebody's got their work cut out for them to keep the brand as successful as it's been because I think the U.S. Women's National Team is only as successful as the individual brands that that make it up.
0: Yeah. And, and you do have to wonder, it's like how much of the, is there enough sort of transitions on that team or have they tried to sort of... In- ended up keeping the, the same cohort together for too long or had they brought in enough new talent or have they have they killed off a generation of talent by excluding them from the national team who knows okay doug the the last issue and, and you know what maybe next week we you know i was gonna say we make a pact and do nothing political <laughs> we just focus on uh, sort of an nfl preview episode But then I was just, even it's like mentally sort of doing a checklist in my head, that's going to get political as well when we start to, you know, because vaccine mandates. So, but let's go back to real sports next week and also a Ted Lasso recap. So just a promise that we're going to get happier. Uh, Personality of a golden retriever, memory of a goldfish kind of stuff. (laughs) More positive sports next week. But while we're on this topic of Politics and sports, the Cleveland Indians changed their name to the Cleveland Guardians.
1: Yeah, the Cleveland I-words. I don't know if we could say that word anymore. But yeah, the, the Cleveland Guardians. That one's going to take some getting used to, I think.
0: Now, let me tell you, I, I've done these assignments in class for years using, uh, come up with a new name for the Fighting Illini when the Chief Illini work was retired, Yeah, a new name for the, and again, the, the funniness of all this. We, The the Washington Redskins were a team name for decades and decades, and now it's almost like we have to go back and censor any comments or coverage of that team, the Washington football team's new name. And so I've been asking students to come up with names for years, and the Guardians is something that I've seen quite a bit. Really? Of.
1: That surprises
0: it, me. It, it It is a little bit surprising because Guardians is nothing that is – You know, it's not a common team name. I can't think of another organization with that name. I think students find it appealing because it's sort of, it hits the right notes. Mm -hmm. It's kind of tough. It's protective. It's tough
1: and safe though. Yeah.
0: While it avoids, in exactly what you just said, while it avoids trouble, right? So there's no hot button or kind of negative connotations or negative connections to the term guardians and so it has sort of the the strength the protectiveness of the military or first responders but it doesn't it avoids a negative association when the police are sort of taking a beating in in the culture or when the military is taking Mm -hmm. a beating in you know past decades so it feels very much like uh, like what sports team nicknames are supposed to be but with all sort of the dangerous and sort of interesting aspects kind of sanded away on the edges.
1: Yeah, I saw that um, my hometown, Birmingham, Alabama, they they announced their G League team, which is a big deal in Birmingham. And uh, they're going to be the Birmingham Squadron. That's the name. I was hoping (laughs) for Birmingham Ballers. I thought that would have been cool. But uh, the Birmingham Squadron. So maybe there's kind of this like semi military but not you can't officially use like military language <laughs> for for team names in case the military well, ever you know is opposed yeah. by um the people
0: see now but but this is what's interesting to me in what's great about our generational differences yeah the military was incredibly controversial if you go back to the the Vietnam War era mm-hmm. in the nineteen seventies and even through the eighties um the military has you know since you know, really, you, your whole life, our country has been engaged in in wars in the Middle East, and there's been this notion of "thank you for your service," and so the military has been kind of very much a positive. Mm-hmm. But but you know what, first responders were a huge positive up until, well, BLM just a few years mm-hmm. ago, right? I mean, and then suddenly you know the 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 cartoon Paw Patrol. Had to they had to remove their police character. And, and so, again, since we're doing politics, we'll have a caveat every 30 seconds. No values made here, but the point is that the culture can move, and so sometimes military images can be a, a positive. Sometimes they can be deeply problematic. We should use the word problematic when we're talking politics.
1: Yeah, that's a crucial word. Um, but, yeah, I think words like squadron and guardian are so generic it's not you're not calling yourself the the military <laughs> the the <laughs> cleveland military or the the cleveland air force or something like it's it's generic and uh it's protective and guardians could mean any number of things but but, but yeah it's these also, kind of real but it can also be,
0: it doesn't have to be military right it, it sort of hits that military theme that protective theme yeah. but it could also just be. I guess there could be a lot of things that operate in squadrons. I, I tend to think of fighter jets, and maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, maybe, that's what I was thinking. Maybe that is the specific definition, but it's kind of a group and a team as well.
1: Right, right. So anyway, I guess it's interesting to see we're not seeing the Cleveland baseball team or the Birmingham basketball team, uh, these incredibly generic clubs that uh, the Washington football team originally started. But yeah, I, I, I just got to say, like this this whole Cleveland... Indians almost said squadron, uh, Guardians team rebranding makes me feel like the Atlanta Braves are on the hot seat. Uh, I still think the New England Patriots are a ticking time bomb. I think that at some point it might be in 20 years, but well, I like at you, some point somebody so you, decides who do you that's think, nationalistic. Who do
0: you, so, you think this is going to continue? It yes. sounds like you do. And if you do think it's going to continue, you think the Atlanta Braves are next rather than the Kansas City Chiefs or the Chicago are, Blackhawks Chiefs are up
1: there. I think chi- I think all those teams are on the hot seat. I think it's I think they're all on the clock. It's a matter of time. It's just going to feel so weird. Like in ten years, when half of the leagues are brands that we're not even familiar with, it's going to feel like you're watching <sighs> arena league football or something. You don't even know. You know the names of the teams, and they're all new, and there's something odd about it when there's these teams like like the Washington R words that we have watched for our entire lives, and all of a sudden they're called something else. It's weird. And and
0: look, and that's why I, if I was in charge, or they asked me my opinion as a consultant, a hundred percent, I would go with the Washington football team and the Cleveland baseball club simply because Mm. look one you're not going to get in trouble right you you know it's it's, but it's also the easily the best way it's so simple i think people are resistant to it but it is easily the best way to retain the brand equity and the fan base right because the
1: colors keep because
0: this was already the washington dc football Team, right. It, 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 like announcers would go back and forth. It would be the Redskins or it would be Washington's driving. You know, it's fourth and two on the on the 40. And so when announcers and fans talk about their teams as Cleveland or the Indians. And you got to get rid of one of the names. I love the idea of just keeping the other one, keeping the colors, keeping as much of the, you know, sort of the uniform design. It seems to be the right path forward and I also say this that and, and you know this is where i want you to push back if i'm wrong because i'm often i'm often wrong on these things isn't the cleveland baseball club a more interesting name than the cleveland guardians at this point it's more distinctive
1: it's just less less cheesy to me i think like thinking about I, you know i'm a huge georgia football fan uh georgia bulldogs football see i said georgia football fan i didn't say georgia bulldogs yeah. but it's like If Georgia had to rebrand, to think of them as like the Georgia insert any other. Well, here, let me
0: give you my sort of my pet peeve the Georgia Warriors or the Georgia Wildcats, the Georgia Wildcats, Georgia
1: Wildcats, Georgia Wildcats, the Georgia any kind of cat would be weird because you know. The opposite of what they've <laughs> been, but, um, but yeah, it feels it feels forced and it feels fake. That's what I'm saying. It feels like an arena league team or something. Any brand name, any mascot with professional teams that we're not used to, it can feel that way. I remember like when the NBA introduced the Thunder, that for the longest time was just, it didn't feel like a real NBA team to me because it was like, I'm not used to that. And I don't even think about the Lakers, even though that's just as weird of a team name, but it's the Lakers, you know, they've been around for forever, but introducing something new to an established team, like, like you said, the Georgia Wildcats, just, just call them the Georgia football team. And everyone will be like, go Georgia, you know, like, and talk about them, UGA, Georgia, this and that.
0: Doug, I hardly
1: call them the Bulldogs anyway.
0: You're not wrong. And I think it's, it's such a fundamental thing that it, it's almost the legitimacy of a team name depends on whether or not it existed before you're, before you were born. Because in some ways I still think of like, you know, the Seattle Seahawks and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as newcomers to the NFL. Right, simply because they started in about you know I think nineteen seventy six or nineteen seventy eight, and so they were the brand new teams. And you know, as a kid, you grew up with the the Bears, the Steelers, the Cowboys, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I think whenever you introduce a new team, it takes you know sports fandom is like generational, mm-hmm. and so for the I agree. Cleveland Guardians to really become associated with Cleveland baseball. In some ways, you just have to wait till the fans grow up with it.
1: Right. I mean, whoever's being born today, it'll feel normal and natural for them. Yeah. Everybody else, it's always going to feel off. It's always going to, in my opinion, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, I think I think the Washington football team, as much of a meme that became and as like much of a joke it was and how generic it was, it's like, oddly enough, it kind of made a model for like how this could work for <laughs> these teams. The The Atlanta baseball club, I think is way cooler than if they become like the Atlanta Bobcats or something completely different from what they've been. Of course,
0: the challenge of that is the Atlanta baseball club plays in Marietta, right? Well, <laughs> well,
1: it, nobody plays in their city. The New York giants play in New Jersey. So do the jets. So,
0: so you think so. And, and look, I suspect you're right. And I'm in full agreement. It's, um, that a preemptive move into something that sort of gets that kind of territory of the Atlanta baseball team, the Atlanta baseball club, would be a great way to solve a problem pretty to solve a problem before it becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned you also see potentially an issue with the uh, the New England Patriots. Was that the other one you noted?
1: Yeah, I just think at some point, you know, the page, the term patriots, I remember uh, the insurrection at the Capitol and the people who who were there termed themselves patriots. And you see that on social media. They were calling all the patriots. We're doing this like patriots. And then pictures, today a group of patriots, you know, we did this to stand up for what we believe in or whatever. Well, that's a very far to one side group right and they're they're becoming associated with that term and so for a team name to be that you know it's not that i think at some point it could become the equivalent to being the new england liberals or the new england conservatives or you know whichever affiliation you want to make it i think it can become that extreme of an association and so yeah i mean i i Personally, I don't find anything problematic, okay? So I don't care, but I just see it going in that direction is what I'm saying.
0: Well, I I think, you know, earlier this summer, was it in terms of the the Olympic athletes that there was some discussion that the U.S. flag is a hate symbol and that it's associated with conservative Americans, right? The conservative Mm -hmm. Americans have co-opted the flag to become a, a hate symbol. If this culture continues, then anything that's sort of associated with America pre probably civil rights uh, movement of the the 1950s and 60s is going to be, is going to be a problem. It's going to be something that could be challenged.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I just see it moving in that direction. It's like, how do we, is are things just going to stop? You know, where do we draw the line and, and are things gonna turn around and start moving the other direction? I don't see it. It feels like things are just continually pushing in that direction of of cancel culture and of things being problematic and, and for people consistently looking for something to be offended by. I think the Patriots are Particularly with the association and, and kind of some of the far right movements with the term patriots, I think there's going to be players that that don't want to affiliate with that. I think there's going to be, you know, what what if we start seeing? What if the next capital insurrection, heaven forbid, is is a group of people in patriots jerseys because they consider themselves patriots <laughs> and they start? I mean, what a, what a awful! Yeah. I mean, it's not that far fetched to me when you call yourselves the patriots. Yeah. And you're associated with that, and then there's a team name and a brand. I think it's, you know, I think that's a tough spot. And I, with all the cancel culture that's going on, I wouldn't be surprised to see them on the on the, deck. I, I, I should say
0: the next version of the Proud Boys features Patriot jerseys. I, I don't see any reason yeah. why that couldn't happen, right? That almost seems like a. Suddenly, Doug, we're now doing a little bit of free brand consulting for the next iteration of the, <laughs> the Proud Boys, which no, might not be, no no, no, might no, no, not no be where we want to no, be in twenty twenty
1: one. No no no. Yeah, no no. Yeah, no, <laughs> no like, that we is inadvertently
0: wandered into that, but uh, you are know, vetoing that. You know, look, and so when you some of what you're saying, it it does strike me as, as jarring, but and maybe this kind of comes back to this early to what we've been talking about all afternoon in terms of the, these kind of cultural slash political splits, that as this culture is being remade, as statues are coming down, as people are being removed from school curriculum, that these past icon, these past images and, and team names, it's not clear where it's going to stop. Um, I, my junior high was the Jefferson, um, JJHS, Jefferson Junior High School Patriots. So that's like a
1: double
0: whammy. So it's kind of a double, it's like you know, Jefferson probably would not be an acceptable name for uh, junior high at this point. So it is a good question as to where the, you know, if the culture continues to drift, where does it stop? And um, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's hard for people to wrap their, my generation to wrap their heads around the idea that the Patriots are going to be a, Problematic team name because I i think on some level, once the U.S. flag becomes a hate symbol or the Patriots become an unacceptable team name, I, I think it kind of means that America doesn't exist anymore or that America has become something fundamentally fundamentally different.
1: I mean, I, I just see the you know you see people trying to take down statues of um, political figures from the past, and typically the nail in the coffin for those guys is when they um were slave owners right and so i think with patriots the patriots is kind of a generic term but it seems to you kind of think of founding fathers and that that first era of america and that was a time when when there wasn't a whole lot of resistance to slavery and so i think you know i think it's not too far-fetched to see people go in that direction. I don't know. That's just my prediction for it. I see that one becoming problematic. Not to mention, people just hate the Patriots because of Tom Brady. <laughs> and so, um, That's true. Tom Brady and, and, and let, let's go there. Tom Brady has been criticized for his – I remember there was like a photograph of his locker and there was a red hat in it and people were trying to cancel him because they thought he might be a Trump supporter. I think the same has been said for Robert Kraft. Um, So that's an organization that's kind of had – and it's in Boston, um, which people tend to think of as as an area that has – a lot of divide, I guess I should say, Um, particularly with the sports teams. There's, there's definitely been those stories. And so I don't know, I, I can see it becoming an issue. I really can.
0: Okay. So last word on this is potentially that uh, the future is going to look like Euro soccer. If teams are smart, we will start to see every team name, just have the city name and they either put, you know, football club, baseball club, football team, hockey team, or potentially if you really want to go out there and, and be crazy, use the word United following your team name, the future of sports, Doug.
1: Correct? Atlanta United. Okay. I, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to be every team, but I think all these problematic teams are just going to become very generic. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: seems to be the, it seems to be the way to go. Okay, Doug. Uh, so as we wrap up, um, anything, well, I, I almost already previewed, so starting to look ahead to the NFL schedule. A lot to talk Woo! about. Um, good yes. stuff. NFL and college football on the horizon. To me, at least. When, coming up. As soon as we hit August, it's like, okay, it's coming. The world is going to shift man. to football for several months. <clears throat>
1: I am, I just like every Saturday. I'm like, man, a couple Saturdays from now, it's gonna be called football. Sundays, we're gonna have the NFL, like, clear the schedule. No weddings for me, <laughs> like, this, this fall. Sorry, like, I have a prior commitment and it is football. Well, man, you just hear my voice, how excited it makes me. I know there's a lot of people like me.
0: Let's go. I heard you football were doing season. some shopping for Clemson, Georgia Clemson tickets. Did you come up with any <laughs> tickets in your price range?
1: Not, no, not yet, not yet. I, yeah, it's gonna I'm I'm gonna need a miracle. Um <laughs> you know, you would hope by now that with my my coverage of the Georgia Bulldogs through the Savage Pats podcast, that there'd be some kind of media um, perks pass. I would get. Not there yet. <laughs> I do need to need to try that angle, but um I, I think it's our year. I almost always think <laughs> oh, it's our year at this point in the year. But this year I'm like, man, it is our year. And okay, it's like I'm I can't gonna, miss these I'm gonna move games on games that, that, that are gonna folks. be
0: classics. Because I can tell by just even bringing up, and I just thought it was, I was, I was genuinely curious if he had obtained tickets, but I could tell it kind of hurt him a little bit that, that he hasn't come up with the Georgia Clemson tickets, um, but he recovered well, the, nicely in terms of the enthusiasm.
1: Yeah, it does hurt because it hurts to know there are going to be people there <laughs> um, and that I won't be one of them that I'm going to be watching by, probably by myself on a TV. It's just not the same. I I love being at the games and seeing the full feel and being part of the environment. And so it's not the same. I got spoiled my senior year going to every game. And ever since then, it's like I've had that deep desire to do so. But that's, you know, that's, I think that's one of the reasons why colleges have such passionate fans is because students are, they're not required. It's not a rule, but it's kind of a social rule. Like you go to the games. And once you go to so many games, you have a lot of experiences and you have a lot of, you know, all of a sudden you have this emotional tie to this team. And that's not going to go away over the course of your life, especially when there's some of the same players or same coaches. Uh, but just that, that team brand and the stadium and the pageantry all being the same. I think colleges have a built-in fan base that is hard to match in professional sports. And I love it. I'm ready for college football, but I'm also excited for the NFL. So I'm just ready for football season.
0: Okay. As always, more content at www.fandomanalytics.com. Thanks for listening, and we will be back in a week to start to talk about the best time of the year on the sports calendar.